Episode 290, The Rant, Stephen Weedler, assistant coach of the men's hockey team at the University of Vermont. I wish there was more of a hockey presence on The Rant. Coach Weedler is here to change that. In this pod, we discuss his early life playing hockey on Long Island, his thin playing college, his pro career, and how he pivoted to coach all the way to being a catamount. All that and more, my conversation with Coach Weedler now. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest by way of Burlington, Vermont, right now. Former associate head coach of AIC, also a former pro hockey player, and the current assistant, the University of Vermont, Mr. Stephen Weedler. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you, Ralph? I'm good. I'm good. Um, so I connected with one of your boys, Anthony Rizzo. I'm, I'm sure you remember that man, right? <laughs> I sure do. Anthony is uh, a good friend of mine since. Oh, Jesus. Uh, when I meet Ant, probably ninth grade, something like that. Oh, so, man. Yeah, we've been that, friends for a long time. That must have been a trip. And obviously, we are all connected with um, sports, and we all love it. Uh, but obviously, everything has gotten crazy because of the COVID-19 global pandemic. Um, you know, I just want to know, how are you holding up? How's your family holding up? And what was the moment that you took all of this really, really serious? Well, you know, we're holding up great. Like, we're, we're doing fine. And, uh, you know, we're staying safe and, and doing what we have to do. But, you know, in, in our world in college hockey at the Division One level, now I was at AIC uh, when this all, all started to happen. And it became really serious really quick for us because, you know, the, you know in the basketball world, the tournaments were going on. The Big right. East tournament was going on. Um, we were in the middle of our playoffs. Big Ten was in the middle of their playoffs. Hockey East was in their playoffs. And all of a sudden – it got shut down like mm-hmm. in a day and, and we were, you know, we were prepping and getting ready and doing what we always do to prepare, prepare for an opponent. And we had the, the benefit of having a first round bye because we finished in first place in the regular season. So we were kind of just waiting and prepping for our opponent. And then all of a sudden, I think it was a Thursday. It was just, we got a call in the morning from the league office to, to, to just hold on. Don't have any practice today. 
And then, you know, later on in that day, it was, hey, you know, the, the playoffs are canceled. And then it was, you know, there's still an NCAA tournament. And then I think the next day, the NCAA canceled the tournament. So it happened really quick, got really serious for us. And I, you know, I have a, my daughter's going to be one uh, next weekend. So at that time, she was only about five months or so. And, and uh, it got serious really quick for us as a family and, and as a program and as a, you know, college sports community. So. Um, it's been it's been uh, a different a different norm, for sure. Now I know you mentioned that you thought um, they said it was going to be canceled. Was it something that you thought that they were going to be able to salvage later on? Or at that time, did you think that well, all bets are off. We're probably not going to have this season's probably scrapped, and I have to move on to the next situation. Well, you, you know, it, it really was kind of just seeing what was going to happen, like reading and reacting, because it really intensified so quick that there was no way to kind of plan. And I, like, I, you know, I, I don't think I'm not exaggerating here. We were literally sitting in the office planning to play the next day on Friday. And all of a sudden it was, hold on, don't have practice. And then about an hour later it was, Hey, your playoffs are canceled. And then a day later. So during that day, it went from, okay, there's still going to be an NCAA tournament as a staff we're going to be the team that's going because we are the automatic bid for Atlantic hockey because we finished in first place. Um, so we got to prep for that and make sure you, we got to plan how we're going to keep our guys ready, knowing that there might be some new protocols and all that in place. So we started prepping for that and who our you know opponents might be. Um, but we only got about 24 hours into that before the NCAA, you know, you know, canceled that too. So there wasn't a lot of trying to figure anything out. It was more just reading and reacting as the news came in. And then, you know, then it turned into let's not go into the office and let's work from home and, and everything that we've been, you know, you know, everybody's experiencing in the world. So, mm. yeah, it was different for sure. Well, I, I know for the course of the pandemic, I know in Vermont um, and, and I know you made that transition to go there. Um, everything has been relatively low, especially in comparison to where I am in Long Island. I, I know that the cases are going up and things are starting to shut down, but I feel as though around Memorial Day is when everyone kind of just got mentally over it and we've kind of learned how to deal with it. But, you know, some people are taken serious, some people are not. Just this whole duration of time. What do you think you learned about yourself and how have you stayed connected in the game of hockey during this time of pause? That's a great question. So, obviously, up here in Vermont now, I was living in Connecticut when, uh, while I was working at AIC, so it was different as far as... Uh, state protocols and stuff and early on all the states were acting independently and um, now New England is kind of they've not teamed up but they all kind of have similar protocols and uh, Vermont has done a great job early on as a state you know taking this serious and uh, everybody's you know socially distanced and wearing their mask and all that but on a personal level there's a couple things like moving my family during a pandemic was something different. Right. Mm. And, uh, all of that was obviously uh, different. The hiring uh, process here was different because of a pandemic. And then when I finally got here, uh, obviously, you know, you gotta, you gotta quarantine for a little bit. You gotta get your, you gotta get your negative test results. Um, we were getting tested once a week on campus here. And then, you know, we've been in, we've gone through phases over the last month and a half where, you know, phase one, we're getting on the ice with the guys, but we're limited to the number of guys. Uh, and we're, you know, we have to coach with masks on and, and they have to wear masks while they're playing and, and all those kinds of things are going on. 
Um, the one, the one bright spot that, that I have found in the coaching world out of it is I'm, I'm getting more one-on-one time with my players than I normally would because of the small pods, right? Mm. At first, I think we, we were limited to eight guys on the ice where normally you would have about, uh, you know, 26 to 29 guys on the ice at one time. So it's more work because we have to do, you know, more practices to get everybody through in the day. But the one-on-one time that I'm getting with my players is way more advanced than I would have in a normal traditional practice season. So, and, and with this being a new program, a whole new roster, learning new players and, and, you know, the relationships that you have to build. That's the one thing that I have gotten is way more one-on-one time with these guys, which has been a little bit better. You know, if you're going to pull a positive out of negative, that's, that's one that I found. Mm. Yeah, this experience probably is something that you will never forget in your life. And, you know, to me, this is a treat that I'm speaking to you because, um, you know, I never really get a chance to speak to anybody that's associated with hockey. And I think one of my biggest regrets in life is not picking up skating uh, growing up because I'm so ingrained in this officiating community. And the one thing that I always wanted to officiate is hockey. And I already know that if you don't skate at a high level, it's probably next to impossible to get to those highest levels of officiating in the game of hockey. And of course, you have such a deep uh, vested interest in the game. Um, let's talk about where you grew up. What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and in college? Sure. So I grew up, I'm from Farmingville, New York, uh, right in the middle of the island there. Uh, I went to Sachem High School, obviously uh, elementary school and all that. I was with Sachem my, my whole life. I grew up playing a little bit of everything. So yeah, actually the only or, or the only sport I didn't play a, an organized version of was basketball and football. But, you know, growing up, I started with soccer. From soccer, I got into t-ball and baseball. And I started with roller hockey. Those were kind of the three sports that I played um, until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And then my dad put me on the ice. And then it was... Soccer kind of dropped off around that same time, around 10 years old or 11 years old. And then I played baseball and hockey up until my junior year of high school. And then it was just hockey. I wasn't very good at baseball. I loved the game, but uh, I just wasn't very good at it. So, you know, eventually hockey kind of just took over as my passion and what I love to do. And played high school for four years for Sachem. I actually played double double A travel. I never played triple A, um, and then from there went on to college and, and pro and, and whatnot. But my time on Long Island, like I was lucky on Long Island as a hockey player in the environment that I got to grow up in. I was lucky to have really good hockey coaches. It's, it's, it's funny that hockey's like a small knit uh, culture on Long Island. It's not one of the big ones like lacrosse or basketball or even football or baseball, but there are really good coaches there and really good players that come out of there. So we're, we're small and tight, but you know, we have some great development uh, at a youth level there. So um, I was lucky and fortunate enough to, to have those available to me and, and it led to where I am today. Yeah. I was going to say all the people that I know that are associated in the game of hockey, sometimes I hear um, a family is sponsoring them to move to like Wisconsin or North Dakota. And then they do all these traveling things. And you know, I always think about all of the, things that you need to do in order for you to, you know, be successful in practicing and, and honing your skill in the game of hockey. First of all, it's obviously relegated to being on the ice. So you need some ice time. 
you need specific equipment, right? And you have to have a level of skill set that um, has to be conducive to somebody that is, you know, really practicing day in and day out to get good. Because, you know, when you think about the game of basketball, basketball, you could play one-on-one, two-on-one, two, three-on-three. You don't have to reserve ice time. You could just go outside and, and the ball bounces back. So, you know, I'm thinking about all those machinations. Do you think that's what attributes to um, just a small, tight-knit community? And just talk about that experience and all those difficulties and challenges of of, I guess, trying to break into a sport that is not as popular as, as baseball or lacrosse or basketball, especially in Long Island? Sure. I, you know, for me, when I transitioned from roller hockey to ice hockey, it was very tough. And uh, I, I was just playing rec league ice hockey. I, I couldn't really stand up. I, it's funny, you know, you play roller hockey, you think that you're, you know, you're going to just move over to the ice, but it's a completely different game. And, um, you know, I couldn't stop. I could barely stand up. I think I spent more time on my stomach falling down on my face than I did standing up. And my dad tells a story of one time my uncle came to watch it. And he asked, like, why is Steven always sliding around on his belly? Like, isn't he supposed to be skating around out there? <laughs> and, you know, that, that really did, you know, when I was young, kind of pushed me to a spot of, you know, being scared and worried about playing. And, you know, one thing that my dad did for me that, probably really helped me as far as gaining confidence was there was a spring season where I could have, I I can't remember how old I was, but there was a spring season. I might've been about 12 years old, but there was a spring season where I could have played up with the next age group or because of my birthday, I could have stayed with the younger age group. And I, and this was about two years into playing or a year and a half into playing. And he let me stay with the younger kids just for that one spring season, I think it was only like 10 games. Mm. Um, but, but I was able to gain a lot of confidence probably because I was a little bit older. Um, but I started to have a lot of fun because I, you know, I was able to score. I was able to do some stuff playing against a little bit younger, my age or younger competition. And it really reinvigorated that fun I was having where I previously was playing at older competition and was, kind of getting, you know, a little bit beat up on because back then, not anymore, but back then you were allowed to hit, you know, at the peewee level, which is 11 years old. So mm-hmm. you, you got some kids that hit a growth spurt early and now you're, I, I wasn't one of them. And, you know, it was intimidating. So being able to play with the younger kids and maybe gaining that confidence really went a long way for me. And then from there, it was just, it was off and running. And I, you know, I think I, when I got to eighth grade, I, I started to get really serious about hockey, really loving it and enjoying it. And I got linked up with, through a family friend, coached skills coach called Matt, his name's Matt Dixon. And he, he turned me from, he taught me everything it was to be a hockey player. Mm. And I, I, I started out with him just, you know, cause we couldn't afford a lot. It was just half hour lessons with Matt one day a week. I think it was on Sundays you know, just a half hour. And we only got, if you could picture an ice rink, we were from the, the face-off dots in the end zone to the, to the boards. So I'm talking like an eighth of the ice mm. was all we could, you know, all we could afford to rent right. uh, for a half hour. But, wow. but Matt showed me how to, you know, do everything from skating to edge work, how to, you know, how to receive a pass, how to shoot properly, how to, play the game, how to read the game, developing my IQ. He, he did everything, you know, to turn me into a hockey player. And without him, I wouldn't be where I am. And then I stayed with Matt. And it, and it from there, Matt kind of, it, 
to his credit, he was an unbelievable human being. And he would let me come down on, uh, he had a really elite group of players uh, that were just graduated high school. And then we're looking at the pros and, and uh, college hockey. He let me skate with them from a young age on uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday mornings before school. So I would wake up at, well, my dad would wake me up at uh, around 4 a.m. We would go over to Sports Plus in Lake Rock Conquest. not there anymore. Wow. We'd skate from 4.30 to 6, um, and then we'd go uh, to school for the day. And uh, a lot of guys that would do that with me ended up having college and pro careers. We all kind of stayed close to each other. And that was the biggest thing for me was, was Matt Dixon and what he did for me. And obviously my dad waking me up and taking me to those early mornings. And uh, being a parent now, I know how much sacrifice that takes. So I owe my dad and Matt Dixon everything I have in this, this hockey career that I have. Man, that's, that's, that's real respect right there. And um, just really quickly before we start getting into your coaching side – that transition yeah. from college and then the college to pros, that must have been very rough because I know the higher you get, the stakes are higher, obviously, and the skill level is higher. Um, was it a difficult transition from when you went to high school to college and then ultimately from college to the pros? Yeah. You know, hockey is a different game in the fact that uh, we have something called junior hockey. And after you graduate from high school, most, most players that play college hockey um, go away for you know one to three years after high school and they play what's called junior hockey. So junior hockey is a collection of, you know, there's different levels, junior A, B, and C, or, or, you know, different tiers. But at the junior A level, you pretty much have the best players in the country from the age 17 to 20 years old. That's the limit of the ages uh, playing against each other. And you usually have to move away from home. And so I graduated from Sachem and a team in, in Albany, the Hudson Valley Eagles, recruited me out of high school to come play junior for them. And I did. I went up there from when I was 18 till I was 20. I was a captain all three years playing junior A hockey up there um, and traveling around the country playing in, you know, all these different kinds of showcases, tournaments, uh, regular season, uh, you know, national tournaments. And then from there went to college. So I had a, even a, a step for, between high school and college to get me ready. Um, and that was a big adjustment, being away from home and all that. And then when I went to college, I actually went to Elmira College first. Unbelievable hockey program at Elmira. We, my freshman year, we finished, uh, we lost in the final four of the NCAA tournament. Um, but I didn't play a single game my freshman year. Huh. And that was a, a heck of an experience mentally and physically to go through that as a freshman in college. And I had a choice, you know, whether to stay there or I just had an open and honest conversation with the coach at the time. And, and he told me, like, he just didn't see it in the cards for me there. And I happened to fill out my release form through the NCAA and, and all that. And guys, you know, programs that had been recruiting me out of junior before I picked Elmira reached back out to me and expressed interest in me to transfer. And I did. And I transferred to Southern Maine. I played for Jeff Beeney for three years. I was the captain of Southern Maine. And we were an unbelievable program there too. Seventh in the nation. And uh, what Jeff Beeney did for me, giving me a second chance in college was, you know, I, again, I, I got really lucky that uh, I've had these people along the way to, to help me and, and develop me. And then if I didn't have Jeff Beanie and get a second chance at Southern Maine after that transfer year, I would have never played pro. And, you know, I, I went to Reading, Pennsylvania in the East Coast Hockey League. I ended up getting cut 
uh, in training camp and sent to Knoxville, Tennessee in the SPHL, uh, where I, where I, you know, I latched on and played two years there in the SPHL in Knoxville, which was obviously an adjustment going from college to the pros. But, uh, my two years in Knoxville were unbelievable. Best, best experience I, I've had in a long time. And, um, again, just lucky along the way for the guys that helped me and developed me and gave me a second chance when I needed it and all that. Yeah, listen, I, I think all of those breaks that you've had, especially the one um, where you had you were kind of reborn and, and you had a, a new opportunity to play at Elmira. I know that probably made you want to give back to the game because of all of these people that helped you along the way. Um, just talk about your journey of when you finally had the seed planted that you wanted to become a coach. So I, I got done with my second year. So I had always wanted, I knew I wanted a life in hockey mm. and um, whether that uh, the way I envisioned that was was climbing the ranks in the minor leagues and playing in the NHL, right? And that never happened. And I was actually going back for my third year of pro, and I was going to training camp in the East Coast Hockey League. And my my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, uh, was living in Boston. She was going to school at Northeastern. And I went to Boston to train with a trainer that I knew from up there and, and obviously spent some time with her. And I was training, getting ready for the season. I'm in the locker room one day with him. His name's John Lounsbury. And, and he just said to me, like, you know, they, they call me Weeds. My nickname is Weeds. Hey, Weeds, like, didn't you want to get into coaching and, like, college coaching? I said, yeah, one day, like, I'd really love that. He said, hey, there's an opening down the road at Curry College. Um, I know you're going back to play, but – would you be interested? I know the head coach, he's a really good guy. He's really young. His name's TJ Maristersky. Like, would you be interested in just, you know, having an interview with him? And I said, you know what? Let me talk to Megan. I went back home and, and she was all about it because then I'd be, instead of being in Knoxville, I'd be in Boston with her. And I went down to Curry College's campus, met with TJ Maristersky, and I was instantly, I was it. That was like, I was, I, you know, I, I said, that's it. I'm done being a player. I want to, I want to coach and me and TJ, like we always joke and we're really good friends now. It, he, it's like uh, that scene from Step Brothers uh, <laughs> when they're like, when they're like looking at each other and they're like, Hey, Hey, did we just become best friends? Yep. You want to go do karate in the garage? Yep. Like that, <laughs> that, that's what it was like. And it was instantaneous. And, and I knew that he was going to be a guy um, one that I would have a great relationship with, but two that could really teach me how to be a coach and everything that went into that. And he was vital in my transition into coaching. And, and I think because of TJ and because of Curry College, I really got the bug and I started to really enjoy coaching and everything that went into it and the player development and everything, the recruiting of the players and the skills development. It, it all just kind of really uh, excited me and, and from there I was just off and running there was no turning back I wanted to be a coach forever and climb as high as I could that's amazing man and you know I think about what you're saying with your story and you said that you always had a single-minded purpose of being a lifer in the game of hockey and you always knew that you were going to be a coach I know in the game of basketball sometimes people have that separation anxiety that they don't want to give it up that they don't want to ref they don't want to coach and they still want to hang on to that did you have any of that type of separation anxiety once you were off the ice and now you were just teaching young men how to play? I definitely did. After my first year of coaching, I actually got an offer to go back and play from Knoxville. And they wanted me to come down and, and join the team. Because the way that the pro game and the college 
uh, Curry's Division Three. So the way the Division Three schedule lined up, we finished way our season finished way before the pro season would have finished. And my coach reached out to me, and he, you know the coach of the pro team, and said, "Hey, like Weezy, are you still in shape?" And I told him, "Yeah." And obviously, I'd been on the ice coaching, and you know, I could go back and play. I'm, I'm still in shape and ready to play. And I seriously considered it, but. At the end of the day, after thinking about it for 48 hours, I said, you know what? If I do this, I'm halfway in and halfway out. I'm halfway a professional player and I'm halfway a coach. And there's no such thing as being half a gangster, right? So you got to be, you got to be all in and what you're doing. So I decided I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go back to play as, as alluring as that sounded in my head. I said, I'm a coach. I'm going to be a coach. I'm going to stay here. There's things they got to do here. We got to recruit next year's team. We got to, you know, division three, you're wearing all the hats. You got to order the equipment. Uh-huh. You got to, you know, do all the budget, everything. Um, I said, if I just leave right now, I'm really not finishing the job I signed up for. Um, although I could leave because my contract's up, the season's over, right? Division three. Right. It's not the right thing to do. So I'm all in on being a coach. And I told Knox why I wasn't coming back. And that was it. Uh, from there, I, I never, you know, I never even thought about going back again. Yeah, I think you made the right move, right? Because I think if you went back and, and you're talking about going halfway in and halfway out, it's like you wouldn't really find your footing until you were completely done with the game of hockey. And you don't want to be that old man just holding on unless you're Yaramir Yager and you're just continuously going well, with, with what you're doing, right? Um, I think that's a different level for sure. <laughs> Well, yeah. listen, um, you know, I pit me against you, right? And I think about how I'm deeply embedded in the officiating game. However, in the game of hockey, I think you're a better candidate to officiate because by virtue of just you knowing how to skate alone already X's me out. And, you know, having said that, um, before I get into the other question, I wanted to ask you, what has your perception been of officials all this time? Of you playing youth, you being playing in high school, you playing in, in the collegiate level, and then the pros, and of course, as a coach. Uh, it's a great question. It's one I've never been asked. So it's a great question. I can literally remember. Now I can't remember his name, but I could picture his face. Uh, let's go, let's go positive and negative. I could picture two refs that were unbelievable in the youth hockey on Long Island. And I could picture one that was the other way. Mm. And I, I think it really, sticks with you. I know one one of the great ones, his last name was Brown. I can't remember his first name. But anytime, you know, as a youth player, and I'm I, I'm only remembering when I was in high school, but as a youth player, when I would show up and I'd see this ref, I would say, not that he was going to help me in any way. As mm-hmm. a matter of fact, I was probably going to end up in the penalty box <laughs> because of the style of game that I played. Mm-hmm. But I knew it was going to be fair. And I knew that he was going to treat me with respect. Like, as, like not like... Uh, you know, an authoritative figure. He was going to talk to me with respect and, and, and then send me to the penalty box because I had a penalty, right? And those two guys always made it a pleasant experience to play in. Um, and on the other side, there was, you know, another guy that it felt like he didn't really care and he didn't have much invested in it. And you could tell as a youth player, like, I'm just a kid, but I can right. tell. And that stuff matters. And, and you're, you know, refs, you know what? It's a thankless job. You're getting yelled at and barked at all the time. I can never do it. But, you know, you do make an impact on the game and, and the experience of what these kids are going through. And then you take that up. And, and I can think of junior and college and pro. Like, 
So in pro, there were a couple guys that are now refing in the NHL. And there's a reason that they were great officials at the minor league level and climbed the ranks. And you could see it then. They were young. They were probably the same age as me when I was playing, but they had decided at their college they were going to go the refing route mm. and because uh, they, they wanted to stay in the game that way. And those guys are in the NHL right now. And you know what? They, it's the same thing. They net, it wasn't, they're not 100% correct all the time. They miss things and. You know, they don't always get a call right. They right. might mess up a call or see something different. Um, but they would literally just come up to you and talk to you. Hey, Steve, you know, I, I saw it this way. I thought it was a hook from my angle. This is what I saw. You got two minutes for it, you know, and that's it. And then you don't have to go past that. But at least they, you know, you could ask them, what you see there? And they tell you. And then you don't have to agree with it. But they told you the honest truth of what they saw. And then mm. you go in the penalty box. Mm. You know, it's the one... I think it's the guys are officiating and you can elaborate more on it because it's your world and you know better, but it's the ones that, you know, they don't respond to you. They won't talk to you. They just blow the whistle and then they go to the scorekeeper's booth and they put you in that box. And it's like, you know, Hey, I'm a human too. Like right. I'm fired up. I don't want to be in here. Like the guys that I guess it's the best way to say it is that the refs that can deescalate a situation are the best refs. Yeah. And the ones that have an attitude and an ego and they escalate situations, only make it worse. So, like I said, I can remember them all. So I know that there's players that, you know, can remember you and, and everybody that you're officiating with. And it plays a big impact on youth sports and all the way up through the pros. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm interested, you hear that fork in the road a lot, especially in the hockey, because I think they identify people that would be good candidates to be officials at the NHL level. Were you ever approached to be an official? And also, would you ever consider officiating? So I, I was actually approached while I was playing minor league hockey. When I was playing in the pros, they would recruit guys, you know, because we, you know, I was playing, you know, I was at training camp in the double A level and then I played at single A level. And, you know, the, the you know, a couple guys that I played against made it to the NHL uh, when I was out in Knoxville. But for the most part, none of us were going to make it up there. It's a long shot, right? right. And this was another avenue I guess you got coaching, you got refing. This mm-hmm. is another avenue to get up there. And uh, a couple of the guys took them up on it. Now, I didn't. Um, it wasn't an avenue that I wanted to go down, but I strongly considered it because mm-hmm. the, the guy that approached me was, you know, way up high in the NHL. Um, and he told me, we're looking for guys with your level of experience of the game that know how to manage a game as an official. That goes a really long way. Now, you got to learn other parts of officiating, right. but you know, this part of the game, you know, you have experience in and, and they try to recruit you from that. And like I said, a couple of guys took them up on it and they are in the NHL right now. So mm. um, it, 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 I was approached. It wasn't a way that I wanted to go, um, but a couple other guys did it and they're having great success with it. That's awesome. And I think you're best served on the coaching side, but that's, that's a really awesome uh, way to look at things. Now, I know you did mention your dad and Matt and Jeff and TJ and all these people have helped you along the way. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to just discuss any other mentors that you had, list them, what they've done for your career, and how do you think they've shaped the way you've helped people after you? Uh, the list for me is a mile long. So those those guys are, you know, I can't even, we, we could be here for two hours if mm-hmm. I'm talking about those guys. There's also another skills coach on the ground, Alexei Nikoforov. So Matt moved to the Boston area, moved off Long Island when I was about 19 or 20. And then, you know, Alexei was still there. He has a stable of players that have done unbelievable. So he, you know, I was able to go train with him and 
that was later in college into pro. So that was unbelievable. And then on the coaching side, I've been so lucky on the coaching side. Uh, for the guy, the head coaches that I've worked for um, and the people that I've gotten to know in Division One college hockey, T.J. Manisterski, I owe him everything. I wouldn't be here without him. I already touched on him. And then after him, I got to work for Gary Wright for a year at AIC. Gary Wright is actually a UVM alum, a uh, small connection there. But I worked for Gary for a year, and he taught me unbelievable things with, uh, you know, attention to detail and problem solving. Um, and then Eric Lang, I can't even he, – he's the current head coach at AIC. Uh, I worked for him for four years. I was his associate head coach. I can't even put into words what he's done for my family, my coaching career, uh, how much I owe him on a personal level and on a professional level. Just taught me everything about how to, how to be a coach, you know, how to lead young men, what to look for, and, and the experience we had of, of uh, us along with other assistant coaches getting together and taking a team from the bottom of the nation in Division One and turning them into a top 20 team, literally uh, winning back-to-back championships, playing in the NCAA Division One tournament, and winning games. It's, I, he's just been unbelievable for me. And and uh, and then guys that I haven't worked with but that have made an impact on me. The big one would be Brian Riley at West Point. You know, Riles is anybody that knows him is he's a first-class human being. He's an unbelievable coach. He comes from a long line of uh, legendary coaches. His dad was Jack Riley. His brother was a professional coach and college coach and you know the Riley family is like a, a historic one in, in the hockey world for coaching so uh, I've been that lucky and then you know our current head coach here at UVM Todd Woodcroft is really um, I've only obviously been working for him for a couple months here but he has taken me to another level in terms of learning the game and understanding the nuances he came from the NHL with the Winnipeg Jets and, and before he had a 20 year career in the NHL before he came to college and he's been able to just teach me so much about mm. the game and and, and uh, the attention to detail and the habits that go into winning at that level like I said I just named probably six guys but I've been so lucky mm. um, and I know I have uh, for the people that I've crossed on my path here in coaching mm. awesome man um, so I did want to give you the opportunity just to I guess at least identify what your philosophy is in coaching and also just when you are leading young men um, in the ice, you know, I, I think this is a very interesting time because I coach a volleyball te- team here uh, locally in, in high school. And I just think about all of the distractions that they have with social media, with their phones and how everything is going on with the world. Um, just talk about what is your philosophy in coaching and what are the challenges the, of coaching today's uh, youth? Sure. My philosophy I think it's the same as I am as a person, just I'm relationship-based. I I love knowing my players uh, and not at a surface level. I want to know everything about you and I want to get to know you and I want you to know that I really care about you before I'm coaching you. You know, that's step one to me is building the relationship and getting to really know the person that you're coaching. And um, that's that's how I approach it. And then from there, um, you know, we're on the same path of working towards a common goal. And once you know that I care about you, the times that I push you, um, you understand that it's coming from a place of respect and love 
and that I care about you versus I'm just coaching you for wins and losses. Mm. And that's not what I'm about. Uh, you know, we are as coaches, you, me, Anthony Rizzo, Brian Riley, any walk of life, you're developing human beings. Yeah. And I, I can think back to the coaches that I had in high school that were, you know, I guess you would consider them part-time, low-level coaches, but they made such an impact on me. So yeah. I always took that with me. If you connect personally, you, you get you get way more out of the situation and you build these bonds that last a lifetime. I have kids that I coached at Curry College that still stay in touch with me. And, and I haven't co- I coached them for two years and I some of them for one year. And, and you know, they easily could have fallen, relationships that could have fallen by the wayside, but they didn't. And uh, that's so that's how I dive into it. And then in terms of like the, the comedy age kid, it's funny. I, I, I get... Um, I don't see that big of a difference in kids. Mm. So it, it's, it's an interesting point. I, I get it. The kids are different than we were. Right. And, mm-hmm. but we were different than our parents were. True. And True. our parents were different than, than their parents. True. Were. And everybody has, you know, like uh, when my dad was growing up in rock and roll, I bet you my grandmother didn't <laughs> think rock and roll was great. Right. And uh, him listening to, you know, Led Zeppelin in his room as a teacher, yep. like, it, 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 you know, grandma probably didn't like that too much. She didn't think he was doing great, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, so now these kids are glued to their social media and they're glued to their cell phone. And, and you know what? That's just the times. That's how they interact. That's how they, you know, how they socialize. And, you know, if you try to change it or force them against it, it's not going to work. Right. So, so I think if you have that relationship with them, and you can build that standard of what we need to do. There's nothing wrong with, um, and, and I'm, I'm at a different level, right? I'm dealing with adults. Right. I'm dealing with, you know, college division one college hockey players. Yeah. So I'm mm-hmm. looking through that, that lens, which might be different for a high school or junior high or, or, you know, youth coach, but there's gotta be, because I have that relationship with my players, we can, we can talk to them and tell them when it's time. Hey, we gotta, we gotta, chill on the phone right now we got to pay attention to what we're doing because we're about to go play boston university and if we're not paying attention right now uh this isn't going to be good for all of us right we're all here for the same reason so again i think it ties back into relationships and we don't have any harsh rules on on what we do with you know cell phones and social media and we just ask people to be smart ask our guys to be smart understand that that their comments and everything carries weight as division one athletes and um, you got to be calculated and smart in, in how you present yourself out there. And, and uh, you know, there's multiple different people from multiple different walks of life that are reading your stuff and, and you know, making sure that you uh, represent yourself in the program the right way. That's all we ask. And at the end of the day, kids are kids. And this is the new norm for them. So, you know, get with it. I think that the times of being able to yell at your kids and bark at them as a coach. I think that's gone. Yeah. I think you get, they, they have so much information in their hand on their cell phone that anytime they have a question, they get the answer yep. instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So as a coach, you can't, they, they're doing that in every walk of their life. So as a coach, you can't just yell at them and not give them the why you have to tell them why, because they get why every day of their life when they, mm why is, you know, why do plants grow? Easy, Google, bang, got it, right? Like, I'm just I'm just picking that out of the blue, right? It's not a great example, but, you know, like, like 
they get the why for any answer they have all day, every day in their life. So you got to give them a why. Hey, we're, you know, we're focusing on this today in practice and here's why. Mm. And as soon as you give it to them, they take ownership of it. They understand it. You feel like you're a team and you're not talking down to them. And then, and then it's go time. So that would be my, my biggest thing with today's youth is, is building the relationships and give them the why and understand why you have to give them the why and why you can't just yell at them anymore. You know, that's, (laughs) that's the old school way. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I would go back in time and think about all those times we probably had long car rides with our parents and go, why don't we have internet? Why am I going to be bored for the next 12 hours? Because I wish we had a cell phone yeah. that we could do something like that. And I hope these kids appreciate what they have. And just to fortify the things that you're saying, I mean, just the ability for me to connect with you, right? I mean, you can use social yeah. media and you think about when professional athletes or coll- collegiate athletes use it. It's oftentimes for the wrong reasons, right? They said something wrong or they made a misstep. But, you know, at the same time, if you use social media the right way, we can get Coach Weeds on here and, and we can share his story. And now the teacher, uh, the uh, your players can now have a deeper connection with you. And I, to me, that, that sure. goes a long way. And also, you know, just talking to an official like that does basketball. I mean, this is amazing that I'm talking to a a hockey coach to me, but you know, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a a division one assistant coach at hockey? Sure. It's a great question. I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to think that there aren't, you know, 400 guys that could be sitting in this chair doing exactly what I'm doing. Mm. And all of them could do, just as good a job as me. Like, like there is so much competition in this, in this, you know, this game. Who doesn't want to be doing what we're doing? We're, you know, we're coaching a game that we love with high-end, you know, student athletes at great universities. Like, it, it's, it's a dream job, right? You know, you wake up every day and you just love what you're doing. So, uh, you know, I think there is certain attributes that kind of, especially in the hockey world, that'll, that'll lead to your success as a coach. And, you know, I think first and foremost is being egoless, like having no ego, not in the sense that you don't have pride in what you do. You need to have pride in what you do. But have, checking that ego at the door is big because there's always something. Todd Woodcroft has forgotten more about hockey than I'll, uh, you know, this morning over his cup of coffee, he forgot more about hockey than I will ever know. Mm. Right. And um, if I had a big ego when I walk in there tomorrow that I know everything, I am completely stunting my growth as a coach. So really, it's just realizing that, hey, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to be wrong. Listen, learn, develop and have that attitude of having no ego when you're in that coach's office. Uh, Have pride in what you do. Hard work ethic, but no ego. And uh, I think the other part of this is chase the dream. Don't chase the money. Mm. Uh, that, that would be my biggest thing for young coaches mm. because, you know, without, without putting anybody on the spot, I made very little money uh, my first year coaching. I mm. mean, I mean, next, next, whatever. I made $9,000 my first year coaching. Um, so that one came with its own set of challenges, right? And learning, you know, you got to decide that you really want it and you're going to grind through it and learn and develop. You don't walk in and, and, and for most guys, you don't walk in and start making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not how it goes. And if that's what you're after, you're in the wrong business. Mm. 
Uh. You, you got to be invested in this for reasons way outside of money. Uh. So that blue collar work ethic and that egolessness, I think those are the two biggest things. This way you're not stunting your growth and your development as a young coach in, in any area. I would say those are the two biggest things to have in coaching. Uh. Now, conversely, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a hockey coach? I want to, I want to coach in the NHL. And I want to coach at the highest level. Mm. And, and I would lo- love to be a Division One head coach one day. And I'd love to coach in the NHL. I think those are two uh, unbelievable uh, dreams of mine. But I've always had the attitude of focusing on right now. Mm. And not getting caught in the trap of the future. The way that I'm picturing my future going isn't isn't how it's going to go. It's never as planned. You got to just keep uh, reading and reacting as you go along. But having a plan is definitely a good idea. But um, outside of that, it's just a matter of making sure that I take care of now and I work through right now. That'll take care of the future for me. So right now, we're getting UVM back up and running. We're getting this program to a spot that we want it. And we're attacking that every single day, every single night. And mm. that's my sole focus right now is, is getting UVM hockey back to the top of Hockey East and back to being a national prominent program mm. uh, where, we should, where we should be. So that's, that's my daily drive. That's my daily drive. And if you break that down further, coaches don't win hockey games, players do. So I'm investing all my time into coaching the guys that we have on the roster right now, developing those relationships that I talked about developing their on ice skill and their, you know, their off ice skill or their uh, character development and recruiting because you need, you need the, you need the talent in order to win. That's, that's my sole focus every single day. And eventually that'll hopefully lead to to where I want to go. Yeah. I think you're well on your way to anything you want, especially, um, you know, I'm united in that, that particular philosophy. Sometimes, you know, I don't even really sit back to think of the things that I built because I just always kind of worry about the daily obligation in which I do. And I'm just happy. I'm happily satisfied that um, I did enough for today, but I wish I always could do more. But then like, you know, I just don't, I never think about the things that I already built and you probably feel the same way. You just kind of go day to day and you just got to do the work every single day. Um, if you can describe the most thickest situation that you've ever had as a player. And what is your most thickest situation that you've ever had as a coach? As a player, I think the most sticky situation I ever had as a player is, is being was actually being nominated captain in college. Mm. So being the captain of Southern Maine, um, and when that see, and, and I was a, I was a captain for Sachem in high school. I was a captain in junior hockey for Hudson Valley, um, and then being nominated captain uh, of Southern Maine was just a different experience. And I think the way that you have to lead in high school is and junior hockey is completely different than the way you lead through college. I just kind of went back to what I knew, like lead by example, you know, bark when you have to, you know, you, you, it's, you, it's your, your responsibility to make sure the team's ready to go as a player, you know, as the captain. And I think I learned a lot that year because that's not, that's not always the best way to lead. To, to just be barking at people and yelling at them and like, come on guys mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. I learned the value of a word that year and I learned the value of not talking and when not to speak. I learned that when you're put into that leadership role, how much every word counts 
and how much your words can stick with somebody. And I, I definitely made some missteps as a captain, as a player, uh, early on in, that, in my senior year there with Southern Maine. But I take it as a positive because I really learned uh, throughout that year how to be a leader and what it took to be a leader. And it's life lessons that, that stuck with me and I use as a coach. Uh-huh. So I think that was a sticky situation for me. You're thrust into a role where you got to put the program before yourself and you got to put the program before your friendships with some of your you know, your, your good friends that you're going to school with. And, you know, sometimes you're going to burn a relationship mm-hmm. or sacrifice a relationship because your buddy isn't doing things the right way. And he doesn't want to pull on the same, the rope in the same direction the way you are. So that's tough. And it's a sticky situation for a kid uh, who's in college, but you know, life lessons from that. And then as a coach, sticky situations, you know, I don't think there's really I've gotten into anything sticky. I think the biggest difference for me is just, you know, learning how to, I guess it's a, it's a step on top of being a captain and, and understanding how, how much of an impact you can really have. So I haven't had any sticky situations happen, but, you know, obviously the coach that I was when I was younger and at Division Three. Um, I made mistakes and, you know, from what we were doing in practice to, to attention to detail I was giving in video, you know, everything. I had pre-scout mistake, all kinds of stuff that probably, you know, led to some losses in the division three level. I definitely learned from and, and uh, wouldn't be where I'm at without those situations. The, the way to attack it is to recognize that you made a mistake mm. And then to and then to learn from it um, again. Don't have an ego where you just think that some it was somebody else's fault. Sometimes the buck stops with you when you're the coach. Yes, you're responsible for those scenarios and those situations, and and taking ownership of that, being able to tell your team, "Hey, I screwed up here." I think that can go a long way sometimes. Where when you're young, a young coach, I think you might be scared to admit that you messed up True. Uh, in any area. So mm. uh, I think those would be the two as a player and a coach. Now, if you can conversely, if you can pinpoint one moment, that's your best moment as a player. And also, what do you think is your best moment thus far as a hockey coach? As a player, I've, I've been lucky enough to win a lot of championships as a player. One that I could really think of was my first championship in ninth grade with my with all my high school friends in Sachem. And I still look at that picture, and we still have uh, you know VHS tape of that championship. And I somehow got the trophy. Like, I, I don't know how. I, I think because my last name was Weedler, I was the last one to get the trophy. Mm. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I never had to give it to the school because we were a club <laughs> sport. And so it's just, it's at my house still. Mm. And, and that thing's still in my, my parents' house. And uh, that was an unbelievable time with unbelievable friends. And those are still, those guys and, and girls that I played with that year and we won a championship together, those are still my best friends, all of them. I can, the list goes on. I don't want to forget anybody, but the Grotta brothers, Mike Sears, Gary Reinhardt, Ashley Aiello, who's now Ashley Grotta. She married one of the Grottas. But that whole, the whole, I, I can go on and on and on uh, about those guys and, and uh, Ashley and lifelong friendships from that. So that was in high school, probably my best one. I won a championship in junior hockey, uh, which was an absolutely unbelievable experience because we were a pro, a brand new junior A program that came together. And pretty much it was a collection. It was like the uh, Bad News Bears. Like we were a collection of the other team's cuts 
from junior hockey from all over the country um, and came together and won a championship uh, in our first year. So that was unbelievable. And then the last one as a player was scoring my first professional goal. Like that was, you know, in front of 6,000 people in the arena, arena sold out. And uh, I can remember that one vividly. That was a, just an unbelievable experience. As a coach, it's an easy one. The best experience I ever had as a coach was our first championship uh, at AIC in Buffalo against Canisius, uh, not against, in Canisius College's rink against Niagara uh, University in overtime. We scored in overtime. And the reason that that championship, now we went on and played in the tournament and we beat the number one seed in the tournament uh, as a 16 seed, which was an unbelievable experience. But the, the regular season, the postseason championship for our league was the best one because when we got to AIC as a staff, uh, we were the worst team in the nation. The zero, number one, across every statistic, the worst team. And our first recruiting class of guys that we brought in, you know, there was 10 of them or 11. Watching those guys come in as the worst team, and we, sell, we sold them on this vision when we were recruiting them, that we were going to do this, but they were going to do it. And they were the only ones when we really, really were, were a bad team that bought into it. And to see them in three years take a program from the bottom to the championship and that goal going in and the look on their faces and they took a dream and made it a reality that I can't even put into words what that experience was like. That's, that's why I'll coach forever. I'll be searching for that feeling again and again and again. Mm. That was unbelievable. Just the look on their faces, just them turning around and giving me a hug on the bench and then, you know, them celebrating on the ice with each other. Like, it was just, I can't even put into words. It's an emotional, crazy experience, especially the way that we did it and where we went from and got to. Uh, that's number one, hands down, in coaching. Mm. Well, listen, everyone, If even if you don't know anything about hockey, anyone can appreciate the passion that you have for this game. And it's brought you to so many places. Um, it's been such a important part of your life for so long. What does hockey mean to you? What do you think hockey has given to you in your life? Hockey's given me everything. I could say that without a doubt. All of my best friends, I wouldn't have without hockey. Yeah. The experience and, and the life that I have right now, I wouldn't have without hockey. I wouldn't have met my wife without hockey. So I wouldn't have the daughter that I have without hockey. It's all based around the game. And everything happened for a reason for me along the way. It definitely wasn't a straight shot up. It was a roller coaster up and down the whole way from a, being a youth player to being a pro to being a coach. But the game has given me everything, and, and all I you know all I can do is try to give back the best I can. Man, listen, continued success. I think you have developed a sticky situation for me because you did a lot better than Rizzo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell Rizzo don't don't let the you know, I think that he's got a he's got a bright future ahead of him as a coach. You want to talk about a kid that cares yeah. and uh, and being relationship based. I know that he's got that he's got that going for him. And if he's got that, uh, that's step one. So he's you can't you can't skip step one and go to step two. And you know, I, I think that the future is bright for him. And and obviously, I'm rooting for him as one of my best friends. Yeah, hundred percent, man. But listen, I thank you. First of all, continued success. Uh, we appreciate all your contributions to the game of hockey. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? 
No, I just, I really appreciate you having me on. This is a great experience. And, and uh, anytime you want to connect on Anton Hockey, you let me know and, and we could hook you up uh, with some tickets or whatever you yes. want to do. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. So uh, you just let me know, all right? All right, no doubt. I appreciate it. For Coach Weeds, this is Ralph the Ref. This is The Rant. We are signing out. Peace.